You're listening to City's Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I get to host this. My name is Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm good, Rick. Always good to be with you. In case you don't know who Dave Hillis is, he's president of Leadership Foundations, and uh, he joins us from the uh, amazing and remarkable city of Tacoma, Washington. Two there five you three. go. Yep. That's right. There we go. Now, you know, we've been talking. In fact, this is episode six. Can you believe it? We're, we're, uh, it's almost like a Netflix series now. And <laughs> we, we have been talking about traditioned innovation. And of course, that's the concept of taking um, from our rich tradition, uh, especially church history tradition, yep. uh, thinking about the things that are timeless and yet uh, then innovating to make them timely. And today we want to take a look at um, the whole idea of prayer. Now that is a, a pretty solid tradition. <laughs> yes, you know? this this could be this could be the Mount Everest of tradition. Yes, innovation. Yeah, in fact, and now the, here's the thing for some of our listeners: um, if you've been here before, you know that we are going to get our Catholic on because you know Dave is he's going to tell us and teach us all kinds of things. And I know some of you that have a Catholic tradition, you know, you're like, hey, I already know that, Dave, but I do not. And so I'm always amazed, you know, when when we go flying into Jesuit Ignatian Loyola world. And, you know, and yeah. so I'm just yeah. saying, Dave, for me, I appreciate you taking it, you know, sort of kind of more, you know, like just explaining, okay, there is this group that, you know, and this is what they do. But we just definitely want to look at that um, because our guest uh, that we're going to hear from is, is a, I mean, kind of a contemporary sort of star in the uh, Jesuit Ignatian, you know, yeah. universe, right? Yeah, he's he's so as as such, Rick. That's why I'm going to probably curb a few of my comments about all things <laughs> Jesuit and Catholic with Father James Martin up on deck. Um, but no, he yeah, he's a he's a bit of a rock star. I mean, he he's the person um, who, if something you know takes place in Rome at the Vatican with the Pope, probably nine times out of ten. Uh, he will be, you know, the person at CNN, uh, MSNBC, Fox will uh, look to interview to try to interpret yeah. uh, what, what yeah. has taken place. Um, he's also um, famously, perhaps infamously, uh, you know, been dubbed the uh, the chaplain of both Colbert Nation, which was Stephen Colbert's initial uh, kind of program, and now his current uh, late night program. And so, I think with that kind of platform. Uh, in many ways, he is he is Captain Catholic. Uh, so yeah, well, you know, but here's the thing: I I've had a chance to watch, um, you know, uh, Father Jim on on the the you know with Stephen Colbert on on his television shows, and mm -hmm. I almost get the feeling that I kind of know him because he's he's he, he comes off he's just very like genuine, and and he mm -hmm. and you know you get the idea that hey this guy has uh, been around you know, the scriptures and, you know, the history of the church a lot, but at the same time, um, he seems, um, you know, like he, he's not, he doesn't come off like, you know, uh, the know-it-all guy, but that he's very inviting. So I really appreciate that about him. Now, when it comes to, um, you know, just back up for a second, you know, there's a lot of different traditions, even in the Catholic, uh, you know, uh, practice and, and, you know, worship of God, mm -hmm. but, but part of the, the, the thing that Ignatius did was kind of, you know, give me a just a context on that one. Yeah. Well, again, just to uh, maybe encourage our our listeners that this is not a sort of uh, you know Catholic persuasion uh, podcast that you and I are are trying to. No, put you together. can tell by the intro music we weren't but, doing one of those Catholic things. Yeah. 
That's right. That's there's that's actually quite funny, and you and I could unpack that a bit. But when, I think I mean part of the tradition of the Catholic Church was its ability to recognize uh, what we've called different charisms, uh, different gifts from the Holy Spirit that were given to women mm-hmm. and men. You know, again, whether it was Catherine of Siena or, you know, Francis or, you know, someone like, um, you know, Benedict. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like to talk about the Catholic Church is it actually helps me, uh, interestingly enough, look at the 33,000, you know, Protestant denominations in the world today and say, you know, one way to look at that is go, oh, my gosh, you know, what, this is craziness. The other side, and I think a more benevolent way to look at it, would be to say, are these also uh, expressions of different charisms that have been given to, uh, you know, the Baptists, uh, the Pentecostals, the Lutherans, uh, the Congregationalists? And that's really uh, the way I like to look at it, Rick, that I think that a part of the sort of balkanization of the church kind of writ large uh, in part, is a gift to a pluralistic world, right? That yeah, the, right. The world that we live in is so pluralistic, so it needs, in many ways, a lot of different uh, expressions of spirituality. So that's just a long way of saying. Then, within my responsibilities at Leadership Foundations, of course, what I have been looking for are models uh, that can help us, you know, live in to our particular charism of seeing the city as a playground rather than a battleground. And what kind of spirituality will effectively help us kind of carry the water on this thing? Mm-hmm. And again, while there's there's many out there, uh, and part of what I love about LF is that that we you know bring all of those to the table. I have found that the that the Jesuit spirituality um, makes really good sense uh, for the principal reason, and this is one of the phrases. Uh, that I've loved about the Jesuits is that they describe themselves as contemplatives in action. Um, mm-hmm. You know, an, another phrase, idea, yeah. um, you know, is that, uh, and it was Ignatius himself that said this, uh, Jesuits are people with one foot on the ground and one foot in the air, which connotates, right, that we're in motion. Our yeah. work is out there. And I think that's a good fit for Leadership Foundations. We're, we're by and large, you know, a bunch of activists, a bunch of entrepreneurs. Um, we like to get things done. Um, and so, you know, we need, a, we need a spirituality that molds itself around that, you know, particular kind of function of the spirit. And the mm-hmm. Jesuits, I think, are a, are a really good fit that way for us. Yeah, I love that that picture of being on the move or on the run or, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think about our, our main kind of metaphor, which is, you know, the city as a playground, mm-hmm. not a battleground. I think about how much motion there is in a playground, you know, and how, how people are, you know, excellent. you know, and, and what motivates them is not to run away from something, but to run to it and to be with one another. So it's that's a, right. It's a, a great fit. And also, um, just so you know, Dave, I'm representing the 33,000 um you know, <laughs> denominations. I was actually appointed to to represent them by guess who? By myself. I've never been officially appointed. Right. But I would just right. like to say though that I think what's what one of the uh, other takeaways for me is that 
you know, the Catholic tradition is so rich and even in terms of the longevity, because mm-hmm. a lot of other groups, you know, you say, tell me about your group. I've been around for a hundred years or 200 mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. and so what happens is the, the, the tradition of our brothers and sisters, you know, uh, that goes back all the way mm-hmm. to, you know, Caesarea Philippi, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. when Jesus talked to Peter, I mean, that, that, that tradition is what is, is necessary in order to innovate. And so I think that, that, um, we yep. need to be grateful for the, for the, you know, the gift or the, the charisma of, of not only the Catholic uh, tradition, but also these different, um, you know, different groups that were yep. called by God, you know, to practice, uh, what, what they do. Um, yeah. you know, we, we've had a chance to be, you know, you've introduced me to the Abbey, you know, so I'm just like, seriously, I'm there you close go. Day. You know, I'm it's so close. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the, one of the images I've used with the Catholic Church, and this is not to get too far down the rabbit hole, but it also I think will um, properly kind of frame, you know, our conversation with Jim. Um, I, I've I've likened it to the playground, and one of the things about the playground, and I remember this as a little kid, as you would be, you know, let out for for recess, mm-hmm. um, and you would walk out. And there would be a bigger kid out there on that playground. And that bigger kid could represent one of two extremes. It was either your worst nightmare, right? There's the bully. Yeah. Uh, there's the person who's going to prevent me from getting on the slide the way I want to, to get on the swing the way I hope to. Or that bigger kid is actually there to kind of help uh, protect to, you know, make sure that you get on the slide, get on the, um, you know, swing set. I think the Catholic church within church history is that big kid. And if you tell the story of the Catholic church, honestly, I think it has had moments where it has been the bully, um, right? Some, some pretty horrific theology has been, issued forth from the Catholic church towards any kind of Christian community outside, you know, Catholic proper. The other side, and this is the persons of the Thomas Mertens of this world, I think our current Mm -hmm. Pope, Pope Francis, who actually look at the church writ large, the 33,000 denominations, Rick, that you represent and say, you know what, there's a place for you. In fact, Mm -hmm reach in to the treasure house of the Catholic church. They are yours as much as they are mine. That's all background to say, Jim Martin is one of those people that I think represents the best angels of the Catholic church. Um, You know, he's Catholic, he's Jesuit. We'll hear that through and through, but there's always a sense in Jim that the Holy spirit is certainly up to something far beyond just the Catholic Church as we know it, and he's always on the lookout for uh, yeah. you know the ways that she appears, and uh, yeah. and he celebrates that in some pretty remarkable ways. Yeah, and in fact, that leads us right to this uh, this new book, Learning to Pray. I mean, I love that picture of Jim being you know the big kid. Now he's going to make sure we get included, you know, in, mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. uh, understanding prayer. And so, uh, so, uh, we, we are, are going to hear some, some, um, you know, I think really, really helpful, uh, thoughts from his new book, but also in, as we listen, we're listening through the, the whole sort of filter of, uh, tradition and innovation, and that'll be uh, some, some fantastic takeaways, but, uh, tell yep. me a few things that, uh, that Jim's going to touch on. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the whole the whole premise of the of the book is that we all wrestle and struggle with this thing that probably you know we all feel we we have to do right. It's it's like you know how can you even call yourself Christian if you don't pray? It's like right. well, that's true. How, how well do you pray? Uh, not very well at all. And so Jim's yeah. stepping into that space and saying, you know. Truth is, uh, it's actually a bit easier uh, than you might imagine. And so I always wanted to do a book on prayer. And one of the main reasons is because there's so many misconceptions about it. And the main misconception, I would say, and probably shared by everyone on this call, and you know, it's very common, is that I can't do it. Like, I've tried it. I'm not good at it. Nothing happens. It's boring. Everybody else is good at it, and I'm not. And so the, the first sentence of the book is uh, everyone can pray, right? I think that's really important because I'm sure a lot of people on this call think, well, I've tried it and I just can't do it. Or I hear people talk about God's invitation to me and I don't know what they're talking about. I've never really felt that, you know? And so I wanted to get over the, 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 the sort of misconception that it's only for holy people or people who are worthy. And then also I wanted to uh, invite people to see different kinds of prayers and also to say, look, this is what happens when you pray. These are the kinds of things that happen. So it's a, in a sense, uh, demystified a little bit for people. So it really gives some people something they could hold on to a kind of carry along uh, spiritual director. And this is not a burden right, that God has placed on us that we can never um, attain, uh, but rather uh, it, it's actually a way of, of living life. Uh, one of the comments he'll make is this movement from not just seeing prayer as, you know, what is it that I say, uh, but how do I actually live a prayerful life? Uh, and, and what are some of the elements of that? Um, mm -hmm. You know, there is this, you know, I, in fact, I, I talked to Jim about this. I said, you know, Jim, what do you do with this notion in Paul where he says, you know, pray without ceasing? I mean, who the heck, you know, knows how to do that? I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been foolish enough a couple of times to say, okay, I'm going to really hunker down here and try to make this next hour of, you know, solid prayer. Yeah. I yeah. think right now, you know, at, at my age, uh, my current record is like one minute and 31 seconds. I, I mean, I just, <laughs> I fall off the rails so quickly. So it's uh, beginning to kind of look at something like that and say, <clears throat> is there a different way to think about it, right? Is there a, a way that in which, you know, you feel the spirit of God, you know, moving you forward? So it's in that context that he will bring out some of the things that are, I think, instructive within uh, Ignatian spirituality. Yeah, that's a great, I'm laughing because that is the way it's sometimes taken, like pray without ceasing, like, well, I already failed, you know, because I'm not, I'm not praying 24 seven. I, you know, I, I think the second part of what you're saying is, is how I take it, which is that we need to sort of have a, a prayerful life, right? We need to be, we need to be sort of, uh, trying to encounter God at all times. I, I don't think he means literally, obviously, sitting down and closing your eyes and, and praying that way. The, the, the problem with that um, phrase and in, in the way it's interpreted is that uh, I think sometimes people think that it's okay, therefore, not to sit down and do your prayer, right? Like the intentional time. And I compare prayer in the book to a relationship, right? So, you know, let's, you know, the three of us are friends, right? Let's say we, 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 all we do is we, we have these Zoom talks and this is the only way we interact, okay? We're, we're, we're with a group and you say, well, that's good. You know, that's a good way to interact with people. 
But if you never spend one-on-one -on -one time with them, if we never like sit down and actually have intentional time, then the depth of the relationship is kind of limited. So on the one hand, pray without ceasing is good because it means we try to live in a prayerful way. On the other time, on the other hand, it can somehow excuse people from actually having that one-on-one -on -one time. Like to, to use an even more blunt example, imagine if two people are married and you say, do you ever have one-on-one -on -one intentional time with your spouse? And they say, no, because we're together all the time. That, that's the idea. One of those really big ideas for Ignatius uh, is God in all things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's hard to overstate the importance of that theological uh, construct. Um, I think so much of where we stumble and fumble is because we think there's a God box and a non-God box, right? There's a place where the Holy Spirit really seems to operate. And then there's these other places where the Holy Spirit would never dare lay foot. Ignatian spirituality shatters that. Um, and in, in some pretty radical ways and simply says, God is in all things, full stop. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you, when you rest into that, right, and you begin to sort of chew on it, you know, it begins to, you know, raise things like, you mean I can read a good book written by an author who maybe has no expressed Christian intent, but God is in that? Mm -hmm. It's like, wow. You know, yeah. um, I can listen to a strain of music, you know, Yo-Yo Ma uh, playing the cello. Um, God is in that. And as you begin to conclude those things, it's like vistas, you know, begin to open up with regard to, I think, the opportunity to, um, you know, learn how to pray uh, is the way that Jim will talk about it. There's two ways that God has of kind of communicating with us. One is, well, there are many ways, but the way we experience either in our daily life, you know, kind of our walking around life or the times when we're praying, right? When we're actually sort of doing that intentional time. Um, you know, in our daily life, it could be myriad experiences. You know, a moving experience with a friend of yours. You read a book, you watch a movie, you go outside, you, you know, so there are lots of different ways. Jess would say finding God in all things. The key is kind of being attentive to the possibility that God can be reaching out to you in these situations. I think perhaps the, the simplest thing in the in the COVID crisis or in the pandemic would be if you are something simple, if you are struggling and you have a conversation with a friend who calms you down or a therapist or a spiritual director or something to see in that God's hand, right? To see God actually reaching out to you. And okay, so that's one way. And another way would be in your prayer. And all sorts of things can come up in your prayer. Emotions, insights, memories, desires, feelings, words and phrases. And to take seriously the fact that um, stuff that comes up in your prayer, not all the time, prayer can be really dry at times. What comes up in your prayer can be ways of God communicating. Because one of the key insights of Jesuit spirituality is that God desires a relationship with you. Okay, and that God will can, as Ignatius says, it's a great, it got him into a lot of trouble. 
it really got him into trouble. The creator can deal with the creature directly. Because at the time, people were like, oh, no, 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 no. It's the church that does this, the church and only the sacraments. He's like, no, no, God can, God works with people. So to sort of be, um, be okay with that and, and look for those moments. I think the other thing he'll touch on, Rick, here pretty quickly is this whole role of desire in prayer. Um, and, you know, again, desire is that word that we all sort of hold at arm's length. Um, you know, that, that somehow, in some way, that word, that realm is off limits for the Christian. And we almost get to a place where the more, quote unquote, desireless we are, uh, somehow the more spiritual we are. Yeah. And yet, you know, and we've talked about this before, I mean, through the Rene Girards and the James Allisons, the truth is, is that we are constituted, you know, by our desire uh, of other people's desires. So if you remove desire, you know, from prayer, uh, you know, James will argue uh, that you kind of become prayerless. So I think right. the recovery, you know, of desire uh, in its best sense becomes what I would describe as almost a kind of fuel, you know, by which to kind of go, okay, um, you know, that helps me uh, pray moving forward. So those would be yeah. just, a, you know, a couple thoughts, I think, Rick, here that, that he'll talk about and talk about in some wonderfully winsome and whimsical ways. In the book, Learning to Pray, I talk about the different ways that, uh, you know, God uh, sort of uh, communicates with us, you know, in subtle ways, often in our prayer, by raising up uh, insights or emotions or memories or desires or, you know, just a feeling of calm or of presence. I mean, then, and then in our daily life, um, as you guys know, that's a big part of Jesuit spirituality, finding God in your daily life, you know, in, in conversations and all that. And one of the things, you know, uh, I think your question brings up and something that you were both talking about in terms of, you know, making our, our world playground instead of battlefield is, is sort of feeling within ourselves um, God's desires. Now, that might seem a little bizarre, um, but, you know, if we're moved, right, um, if we're moved to want to change the world or help people who are struggling or, you know, we see the simplest thing is we see someone who's homeless on the street. We feel that desire to, to help the person. We read about migrants or refugees. We read about the poor in the inner city. Um, we see someone who's struggling with COVID. You know, even more recently, we see the people in Texas and we feel the sense of compassion. I really want to help them to take seriously that that's God's voice within us moving us. Because how else would God move us? I mean, how else is God going to sort of affect God's plans for the world? And so so the link for me uh, is between uh, the, 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 in a sense, the, the desires that God puts within us for a more just and compassionate world and our responding to that. So, you know, it is, it's a response. We have to say yes to that. So that's in the Jesuits, that's that, that's the connection between kind of God's desires and, and your desires. So yeah, it's to take that really seriously. It's, it's trusting that this is God's invitation for, for both of those people and for everybody on this call. You, you know, the crucible of prayer is relationship. Um, you know, it's a conversation with God. He, he has this wonderful comment about, I think he uses the image of, of being at the dinner table, you know, with with friends, um, and if you are are you know sitting there, and um, you know you're having a conversation, well, I mean that's 
you know, that's that's the nature of prayer. And he even in a very gracious way says, you know, if someone happens to be preoccupied, right, they've got a meeting here as soon as dinner's over, or they're waiting for another person to show up. If they're distracted, you know, what does that do to the, you know, um, basic, you know, kind of conversation that's taking place? Yeah. Yeah. And he says, and while, you know, it will, of course, you know, be um, maybe less than what one would hope, he said, the beauty of it is that sitting at that dinner table, you would still, uh, you know, pay attention, right? Want to somehow draw that person out, which he says is exactly what God is is always doing with us. So even mm-hmm. when we're distracted, you know, even when Dave Hillis can't push back, push past uh, a minute and 32 seconds in my, in my prayer life, he says, that doesn't mean that God isn't there anymore. Uh, God right. is just simply waiting uh, to pick up the conversation again when you become, you know, less distracted moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's a so great, I think, great way yeah, to so see I, it. Yeah. I think that notion of relationship, yeah, it's funny, I was telling someone uh, the other day about my own prayer life. And in fact, it was our own uh, Noah Basket where I had uh, felt uh, this, you know, burden to just, you know, somehow develop a prayer life that was rich and deep and had levels to it. And actually I was up at the monastery, Rick, with this Father Placidus and I was confessing to him, you know, my lack of, of you know, prayer. And he said, well, tell me how you, how you're praying. And I said, well, you know, <clears throat> and I sit down and I really just begin to try to, you know, come up with, you know, thoughts and ideas and just, you know, these deep insights into kind of who and what God is. And Father Platz looks at me and goes, that's impossible. And I, I go, what do you mean it's impossible? He says, that's completely unsustainable. You can't have a prayer life like that. And it's like, huh? I mean, what, what, would I, <laughs> what else would I do? And he, in this wonderful way, says, well, how about the way Jesus told his disciples to pray? And I, I literally kind of paused because I'm kind of going, uh, Okay, well, how did he do that? <laughs> and then Placidus just simply introduced me to the power of the Lord's Prayer. Um, mm-hmm. I knew the Lord's Prayer, but I had no sense of the Lord's Prayer as a vehicle by which to pray daily, right? The Lord's Prayer was always like the big one, you know, at yeah. the end of a funeral or at the beginning of a yeah. wedding. I mean, whatever. I mean, you kind of bring out the big prayer, but it had yeah. nothing to do with, with daily prayer. Um so since then, what I've done is I simply have made use of the Lord's Prayer for just about everything in my life. Um, and I've become, right, not in any way, you know, uh, uh, a perfect prayer, far from it, or even a good prayer. But I think a prayer that now can make use of these things that Jesus himself said to his disciples in this very simple way. You know what? When you pray, kind of pray like this. And, and, yeah, and, and yeah. the elegant simplicity of it, um, again, I think is something that Jim, you know, will talk about here. One of the other misconceptions is that people will say to you, well, you just have to pray. Well, what does that even, what does that mean? Like you sit down in your chair and you close your eyes and people are well-intentioned. But, you know, again, one of the things that I try to do in the book is to kind of lay that out. So what does that mean, you know, practically? I would say two things. First of all, is to look for uh, signs of God's presence in your daily life. Okay. And so oftentimes, you know, people pray to God and ask God for things. And, you know, there a friend of mine named Mark Thibodeau has four stages, which I love. And they're they're different parts of our lives, talking 
at God, which I love talking at, just like asking him for stuff, talking with God, you know, a little bit more of a conversation, listening to God and being with God. Okay. So, so different stages. And I think that oftentimes we get stuck in the first stage, you know, like help me do this. I want this and it doesn't happen. And you feel discouraged. Okay. Now why we, some prayers don't seem to be answered is, is kind of a mystery. We have to be okay with that. And we, we have to be able to believe in the God that we don't understand, but assuming that it means, you know, looking for signs of God in your everyday life. So you feel a sense of God's presence. So look like during the pandemic, I mean, we're all struggling every, I'm sure every single person on this call is struggling in some way to look for signs of calm and peace and hope and uplift and to say, that's God's voice, you know, kind of helping me. Right. And to, to be attentive to that. So you get a sense more of the relationship and then in your prayer, Actually, in your one-on-one time, and you're just kind of quiet and 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 sitting or or walking or kneeling, to also be attentive to the ways that God has of communicating with you in those quiet moments. You know, even if it's as simple as I mean, this is the the simplest thing. If you're stressed, where we all are, I think everybody is, and you sit down and you pray over a scripture passage. Let's say, like the Lord is my shepherd, or the storm at sea, or something. And you just have this feeling of calm, like, you know what? I just feel this invitation to calm, to be able to say, this is God reaching out to you, you know? And so I think it's it's essentially uh, noticing is a really important word in Jesuit spirituality, just noticing where God is present. And I, I and again, I, I don't mean to keep uh, touting the book, but I mean, one of the reasons I wrote it is, is, to, is to sort of demystify that because I think so many people would answer that question with this blunt, well, you just have to pray. <laughs> what you know? What does that mean? And it can't just be asking for stuff because you you just get frustrated. So again, with the relationship model, if if you and I went out to dinner like over like the next year every Friday night as a as a you know kind of a, a regular thing, and imagine all I did was ask you for stuff. That's it. That's the entire meal, and I want this, and I want this. You would say that's a very strange relationship, but that's what we do with God. Yeah, there needs to be the listening, the being with, and um, and the talking with, and that that happens in your daily life and in your in your private prayer. You know, the the thing is, um, the stuff that Jesus said, like when he taught people how to pray, we, it's so funny that we don't think of that as like you mean us, you mean me, like you know, somebody <laughs> was saying the other day, you mean love your neighbor, you mean like like the actual like my actual neighbor, you know, <laughs> like I love all these people, but not the people next door, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. Well, listen, there's a couple of uh, uh, things we want to just, you know, uh, mention before we, we hear from Jim. And that is, uh, you know, this, th- I think these two things um, really apply to the sort of the LF community in, in a big way, as does obviously everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in fact, by the way, the book, uh, learning to pray, I think, uh, you know, um, it's going to do well, but I think marketing would have told him um, to go ahead and use this phrase, uh, prayer, it isn't working, you know, because he, <laughs> he addresses that, that yeah. will sell, you know, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of embedded. But now what about yeah. talking about this idea of prayer uh, and being free? Yeah, I mean, I think um, from, and this is now maybe much more personal. Um, one of the, one of the things I always wrestled with in prayer, um, was, and this is going to sound a a little bit crass and, and even downright Machiavellian, but almost like on the front end, God, what's the end game here? Um, 
I mean, when I, when I pray, what, what happens, you know, initially right in those early days, it's like, Oh, okay. The end game is I'm going to get what I want or need. And it takes you all of about right. A New York minute to kind of go, okay. Uh, that clearly is not the end game of prayer, given the amount of things that are piling up on my desk, uh, prayers that I've prayed that I didn't get. Yeah. You know, then you move to a kind of, uh, you know, well, maybe it's some kind of mystical union of sorts, right? My, my lot in life is to, is to be a, you know, kind of a first rate mystic on par with the, the Thomas Mertens and the Meister Eckharts. And again, I, I, I imagine that, that there are people like that that ascend to that level. But in my case, you know, it, it sort of ended with a dull thud. And I just began to go through different, okay, what, what is this? Um, and finally, for me, the epiphany, Rick, was that what prayer is actually trying to do is to get us free, to respond to the Holy Spirit. End of story. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, it was a whole, I mean, it was, you know, again, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's whether scales fall from my eyes on the road to Damascus, you know, whether it's a, a kind of, um, you know, sort of Job-like, you know, kind of discovery of kind of who I am sitting on the dung hill. I mean, I, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways I describe it, but I remember going, that's why I pray. I, I want to get free. Um, and of course, I have to admit then that how bound I am, you know, by a whole host of things, whether it's my job, whether it's my board of directors, whether it's my fundraising. I mean, so um, I feel like I have a new lease on life. Um, and sometimes my prayer is quite short. Um, sometimes it can be rather long. Uh, you know, I experience it in places like the Benedictine Abbey, which is wonderful, you know, through the you know prayers of the church and the liturgy. Um, other times, you know, it's, uh, you know, over the course of having a good conversation with someone like you, but all of these things now to the degree that they help free Dave Hillis up, um, I consider them, you know, as prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one, of the, well, one of the most fascinating verses for me, Rick, in, in the entire Bible is at the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And it says in the third chapter, that there was a group of people that were having a conversation and then this really remarkable statement and God heard it as prayer. Hmm. Um, and I've, I've oftentimes thought that's it, right? To be able to have a kind of conversation, you know, with myself, with others where God says that's prayer. And so yeah. then I've always wondered, well, what was it that God heard in that conversation that he said, yep, that's prayer. Mm -hmm. And I would argue it's because God looked down and said, these people are getting freed up, right? By their courageous conversations, uh, Mm -hmm. by the ways that they are, um, you know, uh, affirming one another, forgiving one another. Uh, Anything that frees up, you know, Rick Enlow or Dave Hillis, I think is prayer. So that's that's been huge for me. One of the greatest for me is this fellow, Daniel Harrington, who was a New Testament professor. And he, I'll never forget this. This is, you'll love this. He summed up, and he's brilliant. 
So this is not just like some little like, you know, uh, mnemonic device. He summed up all of Paul's letters to Paul's letter to the Romans in one sentence. You ready? This is the entire. And it was freed from sin, death and the law freed for life in the spirit. Hmm. Okay. So, so to your question, it's a freedom from, you know, like the things that kind of keep us all bound. Right. I mean, and I'm, look, I'm, I'm just like everybody else, right. Struggles and, you know, predilections and whatever that keep us bound fears, you know, but it's also, um, Dave, it's also freedom for that's right. something else. So it's freedom for freedom for God, freedom to help other people. And so the freedom is not just a, a kind of abstract thing. And it's not just for our own sake. It's, I love that formulation from Dan, freedom from, but also freedom for. Uh, which I love and it, so God frees us to help other people up. And, and that, that's a great hallmark of Jesuit spirituality. It's to, uh, to, to be free of what Ignatius called disordered attachments. To, yep. to, to, and and then you're you know so for example something simple as um i want everybody to like me i can't stand if not everybody agrees with me well that's disordered because you're attached to this desire for people to like you and approve of you and you're not free and it's not allowing yourself to to sort of be free for what god wants for you and what god wants for other people and i'm sure a lot of the presidents this is all leaders, right? Leaders who have to yeah. struggle with people who don't agree with them, right? Or who make unpopular but difficult decisions to be free of that need to be loved by everybody because that will keep you bound and it will keep your organization bound. Last thing I just wanted to, um, you know, remind, uh, especially the uh, 33,000 uh, denominations that don't know what's going on with uh, Ignatius, but um, <laughs> the idea that he was, uh, he, you know, the, uh, drawn to and active in and actually the saint of the city. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, um, you know, it's, it's funny if I ever have an audience with, uh, with Pope Francis, which I'm, uh, you know, praying will happen. Um, <laughs> I would, I would just ask him cause I haven't, haven't found it to date, but who is the patron saint, right. In a Catholic sense of, of cities. Um, and I, at least to date have not, have not found one. I would argue with Pope Francis that um, Ignatius ought to be that patron saint mm -hmm. because prior to Francis, essentially every other religious, um, you know, if you had, you know, some kind of conversion, some kind of touch from God, um, your, you know, most obvious way of kind of operationalizing that was to get out of the city, right? To get out to the desert. Uh, into the monastery to, you know, I think, you know, in effect, uh, try to, you know, get right with God. And, you know, I would want to be the first to say, having benefited from the Benedictines, um, that I admire that greatly. Mm -hmm. But it's effectively, you know, anti-world, right? And, and certainly anti-city. And so for leadership foundations, what we have needed is that patron saint that says, nope, uh, your, you know, uh, mission, your sense of vocation is actually found in the city. And, and that was really Ignatius. Uh, he saw cities beginning to develop, uh, you know, uh, around the world. And he said, that's our mission, right? That's where we mm -hmm. need to be uh, because people are there, uh, right? Decisions are made there. 
trends are developed there, uh, institutions of higher learning uh, are you know curated there. And if we if we ignore that, then we ignore loving the world in the way that we've been called to love it. So, yeah, I love deeply the way that Ignatius loves cities. Two things. One, there's a lovely I, I can't call it up from my mind, but there's a Latin um, phrase where it's like uh, Benedict loved the hills, uh, Bernard loved the hills, Benedict loved the small towns, Francis loved the, and then at the end it's Ignatius loved the big cities, and because he 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 settles in Rome. Right. And the Jesuits are in the cities. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is actually a very lovely little book called uh, Mercy in the City um, by a, a colleague of mine, Carrie Weber. Um, it talks about living out the Beatitudes in the city, which is kind of great. But I would say um, to, to take seriously the fact that uh, God is just as present in the city as God is in a monastery or God is in nature or at the, at the beach. And I think we tend to think, oh, I can't find God. So the same things that happen in your daily life, you know, interactions, uh, taking the subway in New York, you know, going to work, uh, eating out with friends. Okay. To, to, to see God as active, even in the midst of that busyness. The second thing um, is that sometimes it feels harder because it's so distracting. Okay. There's some, you know, the trucks backing up and all oh, people banging upstairs and all that. And I think um, part of it is to say to yourself, especially when it comes to prayer, that it's okay not to be totally uh, free of distractions. Because what we do is we do a number ourselves. We say, oh, I'm, I'm so distracted, I can't pray. You know, and it's rather than saying, one of my favorite prayers is, God, I'm distracted and I'm with you. You know, because God can be with you when you're distracted. Like, let's say all four of us go out for, and I know I keep thinking about when we might go out to dinner, like at some point, I'm so like obsessed, focused on that because I haven't been out to a restaurant in a year. If we're all out to dinner and Carrie says to us, uh, I'm really sorry, I have this big thing tomorrow um, and it's really distracting me. I'm sorry if I'm a little distracted. Now, all three of us would say to you, I'm, as I'm sure you'll expect. Oh, that's fine. Oh, look, hey, you're distracted. You're distracted. We're just happy you're here. And now look, if Dave can say that to you, how much more can God say that to you? God's happy you're here, you know, and just be distracted because of what we do is a number on ourselves. Like, oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about that stupid truck outside. Or that's the one that bothers me. A lot of the sirens or it's okay. You can be distracted and be, and still be with God and know that God is with you. For all the comments that Jim has made throughout our uh, podcast, we're so thankful and a chance to to hear from him with his new book. But at the end of uh, our podcast here, Dave, we like to wrap it up with a recommendation. So I was going to sort of uh, like steer this direction. Our recommendations are usually something to watch or read or do that helps us see the city more as God clearly sees the city. And so I think um, in this particular uh, episode, episode six here of Tradition to Innovation, let's end with a recommendation one of Jim's books. So let me let me Ooh, nice. start and then you finish. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, between heaven and mirth, and uh, and again, <laughs> there's a great YouTube video, like a six minute little uh, clip from uh, the Colbert uh, program where he, you know, he is talking about um, this particular uh, book that he wrote, and and he just it's got some great ideas. The concept being that um, you know that the the book is the the Bible itself, even Old and New Testament. Is full of humor, 
mm-hmm. but that we're um, a lot of times out of the context of understanding, you know, the plays on words and, you know, the things mm-hmm. that have happened. And I, I think that's true. And in fact, uh, um, you know, he, he references that uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah actually laughed, you know, when, when they were given the, the promise that they would be the mother and father of a great nation. And, um, and that's one of my, one of my best lines in Genesis 18 when, you know, uh, yeah. Sarah's asked, uh, hey, hey, why'd you laugh? And she goes, I didn't laugh. And then there's just one verse, you know, in my Bible. And all it says is like, oh, yes, you did laugh. That's that's the whole Bible. <laughs> anyway, Between Heaven and Mirth, it's a great read. And yeah. uh, and I think it's needed today where we just kind of need a, you know, a little more laughter, you know. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you have? You know, for me, uh, he's, I've, I've read most of his books, but the one that, that, probably touched me deepest uh, was his life. It's called My Life with the Saints. Um, and it, it touched me for two reasons, Rick. One is that, you know, within the um, the creeds of the church, you know, you've got that line, you know, that says, you know, and I believe, you know, dot, 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 in the communion of saints. Hmm. Um, and I just always felt like, wow, Again, you talk about a tradition to innovation. There's yeah. there's something there. Um, what is it? Um, and I had never gotten a satisfactory answer to what, again, uh, the communion of saints actually meant until I read Jim's book. Um, so that was that was one. Just that, like you've got this enormous resource, right, mm-hmm. sitting yeah. in heaven. <laughs> That's their full time <laughs> job right? Is to get busy on behalf of your life. Um, why wouldn't you, you know, right, begin to employ them? Um, and he, and he also in that of course, cause you can get wonky with, you know, saints just like you can with anything else, but he put up some guardrails right around, you know, this is not, you know, uh, St. Joseph in place of Jesus. Um, right, right, right. you know, it's, it's St. Joseph, uh, as an augment to Jesus. And then the second piece was that it actually became a, a significant book for my own kind of consideration of Catholic Church being, you know, my home for a faith community. So mm-hmm. would highly yeah. recommend this book. And uh, there's just, he, he can't help but write, I think, with a little bit of a wry grin. Uh, so in the same way that he wrote the book you recommended, there's just some really funny moments uh, within my life with the saints. Uh, uh and who some of these saints are uh, that we have at our disposal. Yeah, well, and I think also, uh, you know, Jim um, demonstrates that, uh, uh, you know, that same Ignatian uh, love for the city and also for the things that are happening in cities. So when we mm-hmm. read and hear even some of the things he's talking about now, very important conversations, and they're very uh incredibly relevant innovative but they're they're steeped in the tradition so it's it's exactly a, it's yep. a real treat so thanks again dave uh see you next episode thank you rick <laughs>